Good morning, church. Uh, today's passage is out of Matthew chapter 9, verses uh, 27 to 38. Matthew 9, verses 27 to 38. If you don't have uh, a Bible, we have uh, one of these hardback black Bibles back there at the welcome table where James is graciously holding one up. Feel free to grab one. That is our gift to you. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, it's good to see you again, brothers and sisters. Uh, we are uh, actually wrapping up our Jesus' Miracles sermon series today uh, by closing out chapter 9 of Matthew. We've walked through uh, eight and nine, and uh, we've seen a lot. Man, Jesus is uh, incredible in, in, in that he has all power and all authority to do whatever oh, and control over anything in the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Uh, we've seen him heal. We've seen him calm storms. Uh, we, we've seen him call people from death to life, both physically and spiritually. Uh, and, and man, it's just been really uh, great. I, I hope that you have uh, gleaned as much from this uh, as we have by digging into this and just spending time with the person of Jesus to just marvel at, at who he is, because I think that's part of what Matthew is really trying to highlight, just how incredible Jesus is. Uh, and so it's been a really sweet series uh, that I am, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss this, so I'll look forward to when we get back to uh, Matthew and preach the rest of it, sneakily, as we kind of have been <laughs> since uh, man, that was a couple of uh, Advents ago. So, Anyway, we are, uh, yeah, again, just going to finish this up today. We're going to see kind of three little sections as, as we look. We're going to see a couple more miracles, uh, a couple of, uh, we're, we're going to see a, a physical healing, we're going to see a spiritual healing, uh, and then we're going to see uh, a, a little bit of Jesus's heart. Uh, and in these three things, uh, we're really going to see this. We're going to see one, that Jesus honors faith, uh, that he honors faith. We're going to see that Jesus loves people. And we're going to see that he calls us to pray. And so I'm excited to jump into this. So uh, let's go in this first kind of, kind of vignette, when, in verse, starting in verse 27, when he's healing the, uh, the two blind men. 
we see them following around. They're calling out to Jesus. Now, now they can't see, but, but they can hear the bustle of the crowds. And so I'd imagine they're grabbing onto people and kind of walking along and, and just yelling the, the whole time, Son of David, have mercy on us. And they're calling out to him over and over and over again. And, and this phrase, Son of David, is really significant. Um, it, it's incredibly significant because they're, they're not calling him teacher. They're, they're not just calling him rabbi or, uh, or, or healer or prophet or any other title. They're calling him the son of David, which is the root of uh, the, the the root of the promise that, the, that would grow from the stump of Israel that was cut down. They're, they're calling him this as, to say, you, you are the promised Messiah, the one that God will send, the Savior of God's people, the Christ. Okay, so they're yelling this out. Let's talk about this for a second. These blind men were able to see that. Do you understand? They, they couldn't see physically, but they were able to see spiritually the significance of Jesus, who he was, and, and, and what it meant that he was here walking this earth. They could see what the Pharisees couldn't see. J.C. Ryle, he was a pastor in England in the 1800s. He describes it this way. But the eyes of their understanding were enlightened, even if their bodily eyes were dark. So, so they're able to see and kind of grasp uh, what is truly happening here, the significance of Jesus walking this earth, wrapping himself in flesh, the Son of God walking this earth. They could see what the Pharisees weren't able to. And, and what I think is, is kind of interesting, even it's, it's, it's we're still seven chapters away from one of his very own apostles, Peter, confessing him as the Christ. So these men are able to see, and they've been given this gift by Jesus. The, this miracle is, is no less than uh, these two blind men gaining their physical sight, but it, it's so much more than that. It, it's so much more than that in, in that it's very representative of spiritual blindness. And, and Jesus talks about that a bit in John 9, uh, 39 through 41. It says this, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. See, the, these men knew that they were blind, and they were actually very acutely aware of their physical need for healing. And so then when they finally get to Jesus, he then asks them a question. He says, do you believe that I am able to do this? Now again, th this question that Jesus poses, it it's not for him, right? It's, it's not for himself. Like we talked about last week, that God doesn't ask questions for himself to gain information, he, he doesn't, it's not like he doesn't know the answer. He asks this, this question is for those men and for those around that are witnessing this, this situation play out. And, and notice even like how Jesus asks it, right? Notice how he words it. it. It's just, do you believe? Like, do you believe that I can do this? He doesn't ask how much do you believe? He didn't ask, okay, do you 100% believe without any doubt in your heart? No, he just asks if that faith is there. And now, I, I think it was pretty clear before he asked that. I mean, they were following him around, crying out for mercy and calling him the son of David. 
I would say, yeah, that would probably qualify as faith. But again, to draw out and, and to strengthen the connection between faith in Jesus and the authority that he has over everything in the physical realm, he asks, do you believe? And so they answer and they say, yes, Lord. And they confess their faith and Jesus touches their eyes. And then in verse 29, he says, according to your faith, be it done to you. And so he heals them. But again, notice what Jesus says after he heals them and, and what he does not say. Okay, he, he's saying, because you have faith. He, he's not saying in proportion to how much faith you have, but, but simply that the faith is there. Right, he is seeing that this faith is in them, and, and he's honoring that faith. And here's one of the really beautiful things here, that, that God gave them this faith. He, he revealed it to them, and he gave them this gift of faith. Look at Matthew 16, 13 through 17. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, <coughs> excuse me, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then catch this, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter's sight, Peter's spiritual eyes being open to the fact that Jesus was the son of David, the son of man. That he was able to proclaim that was a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not, as a, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Jesus, the, the faith that has been given by God, Jesus honors that faith. But again, we have to be careful here to, to not kind of fall into this trap of wrestling with, okay, well, if if I'm struggling with this thing and I haven't been healed, well, maybe I just don't have enough faith and, and end up kind of discouraged and disheartened. Now, again, we always should be praying, Lord, increase our faith. That's always, we always want more faith until Jesus come and their faith is no more. Like, like we always ask, Lord, increase our faith. But, but we can't see this as some kind of formula. God, God's not a genie that we can kind of rub the lamp and, and ask whatever we want, and he grants it to us. It's, he's not some mystic code to be cracked or even a treasure chest to be unlocked. Matthew Poole was a theologian and Bible commentator back in the 1600s, and he gives us these insights. There is no absolute particular promise for good things of a temporal concern. It is enough for us in those cases to believe that God is able to do the thing and that he will do it if he seeth it be for our good. He only therefore questioneth their faith as to his power. And, and honestly, we can't even make really the, the definitive claim that, that faith is a prerequisite for this healing because we see in the next section that we don't even know if it's there. So we, we look and see in uh, beginning in verse 32 where it says, As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to them. So th this guy is, is under the oppression of this demon so much so that he couldn't even speak. 
He, he was not able to speak, let alone confess with words, with his mouth, any type of faith. Yet Jesus offers him this healing, and, and he gave a voice to the voiceless. And in his kindness and in his mercy, that, that he, mercy that he showed as the son of David to the blind man, he then shows to this man who is oppressed by this demon and can't speak, and Jesus gives voice to the voiceless, and he casts this demon out of this man, and he was able to speak. Now, at that point, when, when he started speaking, did he confess that Jesus was the son of David as the blind guys formerly did? Maybe. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know because that's not the point that Matthew's trying to make here. The, the bigger point, the greater point is we kind of pull up and see what Matthew is pointing out, that, that, that Jesus has authority and power over everything. It's, it's the same message that we've been preaching this entire sermon series. It's not about the miracle itself. It's about Jesus. We, we've got to get that, and we've got to see that, and we've got to be really careful not to build a theology here kind of based on these stories that, uh, that, that if you have enough faith, faith like a mustard seed, if you just have enough faith, then Jesus will heal whatever you're afflicted with. We've got to be careful not to do that. We've also got to be careful not to build a, a theology or a doctrine that, that anyone who's blind or deaf or paralyzed or any other ailment, it's because they have a demon oppressing them. Now, does that happen? I mean, we just saw it. Yes. Yes, that happened. But we can't build a doctrine on it because, again, that's not the point that Matthew is making here. He's using these instances to draw out the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the son of David, the one who gives sight to the blind. Now, at this point, the Pharisees are tripping. And, 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 and let's talk about them for a minute. Because again, in this series and really all through the Gospels, you just see their opposition to him. And you see, uh, we, we've already seen just in this sermon series, they're, they're meddling, they're scheming against Jesus, their efforts to create division and sow seeds of discord. They've challenged Jesus at every turn his power and his authority, and it is unbelievably clear to us that they do not see him for who he is. They can't see, yet those blind men could. The Pharisees can see physically, but they're not able to see spiritually. The eyes of the Pharisees' hearts have been so welded shut by self-focus, by self-righteousness, their care of only themselves and not anyone else around them. The blind can see what they cannot. And then look at verse 34. Everyone was marveling that this mute man spoke. And, and look what the Pharisees say when they actually do open their mouths and speak. Well, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. You know when you're, uh, when you're in an argument uh, with somebody, maybe a child or, or something, and you're like, hey, that's a really bad idea. And they're like, your face is a bad idea. They got nothing. That's ridiculous. You, you don't use power. Jesus says in a different gospel, a house divided cannot stand. But they got nothing. And yet, they can't see. And they're attacking. That's this situation. Jesus here is giving sight to the blind. And he's giving a voice to the voiceless. And the Pharisees are spiritually the exact opposite of this. The exact opposite of this. They can't see spiritually, though they can see physically. They can't speak audibly, but when they do, blasphemy comes out of their spiritual mouths. It is complete opposite. Here's the difference. Everyone that Jesus healed was so acutely aware of their need 
But the Pharisees thought they had no need of healing from him. They, they, they had no self-awareness in the fact that they needed Jesus. It reminds me of Psalm 81, 8 through 14. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Here's God, the God-man, Jesus, showing them again that he is the God of Israel, the Lord of all creation, the King of the universe, yet again, those who are supposed to be his people are rejecting him. And they're rejecting his kindness, rejecting his mercy, rejecting his grace, re- rejecting his gift of faith. These men, these Pharisees, should have been the, the ones actually teaching and, and caring for people, and yet their concern lies only with themselves. And, and, and you can really see the contrast of how they view the crowds, how they view people, how they view Jesus, how they view everything when we look and see how Jesus sees others. Because again, what we're about to see, Jesus loves people. He loves people. Look at verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus loves people. He loved these crowds. He loves you. He loves people. He didn't look out onto the crowd and see disabilities. He didn't look out on the crowd and see failures. He didn't look out on the crowd with disappointment. He looked out in the crowd and he saw faces. And he saw stories. And he saw souls that needed saving. He saw moms and dads and sons and daughters and friends, people that needed shepherding, that needed leading, that needed protection, that needed help. He looked out onto the crowd and his heart broke. When he saw people, his heart broke. Where the Pharisees would maybe see gross, impure, people that were less than, Jesus saw souls in need. So in seeing this, we're then faced with a choice of how we see people, right? We can either view people the way that the Pharisees did, or we can view people the way that Jesus did. Let's talk about each of them for for just a second. If we view people the way that the Pharisees did, it is going to be unbelievably easy for us to draw lines and, and, and make teams and, and create a very distinct us versus them. Now, are there lines to be drawn? Yes. Are there different teams? Is there an aspect of us, God's people, and them that have not yet been saved? Yes. There is an aspect of that. But if we see those things the way that the Pharisees saw them, 
then that's all we're going to see is an us and a them, and that's gross. I'm, I'm safe. I'm saved. I'm clean. I'm holy. I'm righteous. They're gross. I'm not pointing to the kids. <laughs> well, maybe I am. <clears throat> we're going to be so quick to pick up our boxing gloves as opposed to our helping hands. We're going to be quicker to, to pick up and, and to use our voices to kind of yell and scream in all the anger and wrath that we can muster and then call it righteous anger and God's wrath. The Pharisees, they were separatists who, who saw themselves as other than, but, but not in, in the holy, sanctified, set-apart spiritual sense, but firstly in the physical sense. They looked out and they saw every disease and every uncleanliness. We can't see people. If we're going to be God's people, we, we cannot see others. We cannot see people through pharisaical eyes. We've got to see them through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus looked out on the people and he saw brokenness too, but, but that physical brokenness, brokenness wasn't a repellent to him. It was just an outward outworking of a spiritual brokenness that they were walking in, that they were trapped in, that they were slaved by. The people were not his enemy. And the Pharisees weren't even his enemy. His enemy was this present darkness and this evil that is all over. And he had compassion upon the people because they were trapped in it. They were not being told of the freedom that is found in Jesus, that, that is found in God Almighty, the freedom that is found in being one of God's sons and daughters. Instead, they were being harassed, wandering off, and they were helpless. They were not having the eyes and ears of their hearts opened by the good news of the kingdom of God. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no prophetic vision and the people cast off restraint, or excuse me, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. And then Judges 17, 6, many of us remember this uh, as we studied Ruth in Bible study last semester. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, I read those two scriptures, and it's really hard for me not to think about the culture that we're living in, right? I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty clear. This culture does not listen to the prophetic vision of God, does it? It, it doesn't keep God's law. It certainly is doing what is right in its own eyes, is it not? I'm, I mean, people are being harassed by all kinds of lies that that. Just the lie of, if you're just true to yourself, just be true to yourself. Give in to your desires. Give in to your feelings and you'll be fulfilled. Follow your heart. There's a certain business in my uh, neighborhood around the corner. Uh, context, I won't say what kind of business it is, but context. Their tagline says, if it feels good, then it's good for you. That's the lie buzzer, whatever that beep was. <laughs> lies. They're lies. Lies straight from the pit of hell. 
that are not only being believed, but they're being pushed as truth. We have an enemy, brothers and sisters, but it's not flesh and blood. It's not flesh and blood. The people believing these lies are not our enemies. They are bound and captive, enslaved by sin and death as we all once were. And if we see them as the Pharisees saw them, then we'll write them off as our enemies. We'll get ready to fight. But if we can see them as Jesus did, then we'll see their need is the same as ours. We'll see that our hearts will then break for them as Jesus' does. We'll desire that the Lord Jesus would grant them faith to believe just as he has those of us who believe. Because, again, apart from Jesus, we're all in the same boat as these crowds, as the Pharisees, every human that's ever walked this earth save Jesus. So, if we are then to see the crowds, how Jesus sees them, and if we are to love people the way that Jesus does, then what's next? Surely it's time to make an advance, right? Surely it's time to take the castle, go yell it from the rooftops. Well, let's see what Jesus says in verse 37. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The, the crowds, those in need, are plentiful. Therefore, Jesus says, go out into the harvest with your sickle, right? The harvest is plentiful. Go plan and go do and go share the gospel and make disciples and tell them about the hope that we have, right? Is that what he says? No. That's not what he says. The harvest is plentiful. Therefore, what? Pray. Pray earnestly. Pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. Now, he'll, he'll get to the, the therefore go part. He'll get there. In, in Matthew 28, he gives the great commission to go, therefore, and make disciples. But what's he first call us to do? Pray. To pray earnestly. Jesus calls us to pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but how often are, are, are we to just action and slow to prayer? Quick to plan, quick to do, slow to realize that we can do none of this without the saving, healing power of God Almighty. To even acknowledge that. You know, one of our hopes in this uh, 40 days of praying together that we're in right now is to really train ourselves to be quick to prayer. To be quick to it. When the blind men were given their sight, Jesus warns them and then he, he says, see to it, which I like to think of Jesus as just kind of play on words like making a pun. Hey, see, now that you can see, see to it. See to it that no one, that you'll get that in the parking lot later. See to it that no one knows about it. And then what do they do? Well, in their excitement and their zeal, both really good things, they fail to obey what Jesus has told them to do. He told them to, hey, keep it quiet. And they go and tell everybody, spread his fame everywhere. Well, listen, we want to obey 
Jesus, what he has said. Yes, we want to obey the Great Commission and go, but, but before we do that, we've got to follow Jesus' command here to pray. Before anything, pray. It's his harvest. It belongs to him. And, and we can go out with our best intentions, our best laid plans, and hey, we could probably even get some stuff done, huh? But if we don't first beg the Lord, earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest, then it's almost as if we can try to usurp his authority and, and try to do things our way as if it's our harvest. J.C. Ryle again says this, personal working for souls is good. Giving money is good, but praying is best of all. Money can pay agents, universities can give learning, congregations may elect, bishops may ordain, but the Holy Ghost alone can make ministers of the gospel and raise up lay workmen in the spiritual harvest who need not be ashamed. Never, never may we forget that if we would do good to the world, our first duty is to pray. We want to be quick to prayer. And we want to beg that the Lord would raise all of us, not just some of us, not just the Stabels going to the Congo, that he would raise all of us up as laborers in his harvest. The harvest of our families, the harvest of our neighborhoods, the harvest of the nations. And I think a lot of times this, this particular part of, of this scripture can kind of get, get focused and kind of even pigeonholed as only a global missions of going to the nations kind of scripture and you get categorized in that way for missionaries that go to the nation. And it's certainly that, but, but it's for all of us. N- none of us are spectators here. None of us are non-participants in what Jesus is calling us to do. To pray. And then in Matthew 28, to go. There are people in our cities and around the world that are suffering, that are enslaved to lies and sin, that need to hear the good news of Jesus' authority over everything. That there is mercy to be found in the Son of David. This good news is not just meant for us to kind of keep and hold on to and to celebrate, but it's meant to be spread across the world. Jesus performed these miracles, and and again, we've seen all through this series his power and his authority, and, and this is what it's led up to. That there are people that need to hear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he gives sight to the blind, and that he gives hope to the hopeless. Because sin, as we know it, has given all of humanity. It's broken us. It's left us broken and separated from God. But praise the name of Jesus Christ that he's made a way to reconcile us with him through Jesus' atoning death and the all-sufficient resurrection. Brothers and sisters, we've got good news to share. Good news that Jesus can heal the blind. That he can, uh, that he can heal us spiritually. That he has all power, all authority over whatever we are walking through. That he's in control. And that he's good. 
We've got good news to share. So let's pray earnestly that the Lord will continue to honor the faith that he's given us. That he would continue to teach us to love people like he does and to see them with his eyes. And then pray earnestly that he would raise us up to be counted among the laborers of his harvest. And we need his help. Spirit of God, help us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that, Lord, as we read it, that it reads us. And Lord, where you have spoken to us in these things, and where our lives don't match up with, with what you have spoken and with what you have commanded. Spirit, I pray that you would reveal that to us. I pray that you would give us the strength to confess and, and to repent of these things. Lord, I confess uh, of seeing people through pharisaical eyes. There, there are times, Lord, when I don't want to get involved. When I think a situation's too messy or, uh, or, or I don't want to get near the brokenness. I don't want to get my hands dirty. I'm nice and safe and clean here, and I don't want to go out into the broken world. I confess, and I repent, Lord. I want to turn from that, and I want to see people the way that you see people, Jesus. Would you teach us to do that? Lord, would you raise us up in our houses, in our neighborhoods? Would you raise us up to go to people and to proclaim that there is good news, that the kingdom of God will win, has already won, that there's good news found in Jesus. But Lord, would you teach us to pray? Would our knee-jerk reactions be to pray? Lord, would we quickly pray? If something happens, we don't know that, what to do. We don't know the answer that, that, that you would teach us to pray, God. What if it's a routine situation? We know, I know exactly how to handle this. That we would confess and repent of even that, and you would teach us to pray. Before all else, you have given us a way to commune with you. You high and lifted up and mighty, and us lowly, you have made a way. Would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for today. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We trust you, and we want to trust you more. Would you help us, oh God? It's in Christ that we pray. Amen.